0: Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, host Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investment. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest
1: is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode.
0: and everyone this is the deep dive episode on thursday we're talking ipob today uh it's actually the open door spec we'll explain how everything works but i'll toss it over to ryan because you are heading down to head over with our colleague ian to meet in person
2: right yeah that's right we are uh i think we're golfing nine holes i don't know i if i were a betting man i think i'd bet on me yeah we'll
0: see
1: we'll see see. it's my home course so we'll have to see how it goes i may have a little advantage here but we'll see
0: yeah, home field advantage. That that'll uh, adjust the betting spreads. But we're talking uh, IPOB. It's really open door. Uh, Ryan, do you want to get into the company? Yeah.
2: So IPOB is actually one of Chamath's Chamath, Chamath Palihapitiya. If you don't know who Chamath is, uh, it's one of his SPAC operations. So uh, we're kind of on a SPAC I don't know thread here. We've done what this is our second one in a row. Yep. Um, but social capital is the backer of this and that's his like big fund. And this back specifically is called social capital head of Sophia. Am I getting that right? Yeah. They
0: get a weird name. Um, Sophia
2: but, uh, holdings too.
0: So, yeah. It's like social, but I just call it social capital too.
2: Right. And so they entered into an agreement on September 15th, 2020 to combine with open door through a stock and cash financing that would value the company at an enterprise value of $4.8 billion or one times 2019 revenue. Um, So, for anyone that doesn't know what Open Door is, they are attempting to reinvent the real estate transaction. Which that's basically what they said. They're you know they're taking real estate and trying to digitize it. Um, and so they're offering an on-demand digital experience of buying or selling a home. So on the selling side, through a few clicks of a button, you can tell Open Door about your home to instantly see an estimated value. That part is free. So you get an estimate. And then they can work with you to schedule a virtual assessment of the home. So after the assessment, Open Door shares their final estimate of what they would give you uh, directly in cash for the home. Or you can list with a top agent through them. However, they do take a service charge that typically falls between 5 and 8% and never goes higher than 14%. So this isn't really – they're not – reducing friction on the payments or the commission side, as much as reducing friction on uh, making sure you have a buyer. So the demand is there. And then also uh, the time sensitivity part. So if you have to sell and you're moving and you just don't wanna deal with how long it takes with a t- traditional broker, uh, they allow you to do it pretty quick and they give you an all cash offer based on whatever their intrinsic estimate is in that market. So they measure the sales of the homes around your area. And then they're like, yeah, this is sort of what we think it could go for. And that includes them sort of uh, repairing um, and changing the house in whatever way they need. So once they purchase the home, they refurbish it, take on the necessary maintenance, and then they list it on their app. And on the buying side, it's really easy. You just use their app, find a house you'd like. Then you can walk in from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. and tour the house without scheduling an appointment. That's nice. Yeah, they, they really facilitate the entire transaction and their, I guess their margins or where their business really makes money is that the fees that they pay Opendoor as a seller because they're able to take that house, change it a little bit and resell it. Um, and then history about the business, Eric Wu is the CEO and Ian Wong was the CTO. They co-founded Opendoor in 2014. Apparently, Opendoor was originally Keith Raboy's idea, but he was a VC working at Coastal Ventures at the time and he wasn't able to start it himself. Right, definitely. Which I mean, I don't know if you've ever followed Keith Raboy on Twitter, but he's always retweeted by the VCs congratulating themselves account. Um, And maybe he just comes off bad on Twitter, but apparently it was really his idea. So Eric Wu uh, was looking to Coastal Ventures to raise funding for his old business which was like Movity or Movity, and it got bought out by Trulia eventually but uh, Keith Raboy was working at uh, Coastal Coast Ventures at the time and he said like he told him, stop this you don't you don't, you don't want to do this business you want to do my idea Open Door I need you to be the CEO and actually after he sold his business to Trulia Eric Wu did start Open Door and Keith Raboy was one of the first to back it, but because Keith Raboy's name was involved in the project,
0: VC dollars were just flowing in. Yeah, and we poke fun at uh, Keith there because he's always on VCs congratulating themselves, but he does that have reputation for being a strong VC investor. So, you know, that probably allowed them to get all the capital they yeah. need for this large business. Um, I'll get into the industry landscape and competition. Industry is regis- residential real estate which everyone knows is a multi-trillion dollar business. However, brokerage commissions are estimated to be about $164 billion and dropping uh, likely because of some of these iBuying people. So the commissions and the fees with this business is probably upwards of $100 billion. Um, and that is what Open Door is going after. The main competitors are Zillow and Redfin, although there are a few others. Amazon announced they're trying to do something with this. I think there's Compass, not sure what they do, but I'll explain what Zillow and Redfin do as a comparison. So Zillow started out as that online real estate marketplace, but has pivoted to copy Open Door a little bit. They're trying to aggregate all that supply and demand where Zillow has the eyeballs, I think like 2 billion website visits a year, something along that lines. So they want to use that marketplace as their advantage to try to do this eye buying thing um, because I think they saw Open Door growing so rapidly and that was kind of the next phase. Of digital real estate. And then Redfin is a competitor that aims to lower commissions that are charged. Typically there's, I think the three and three as they call, there's 3% on one side of the buy and 3% on the other, uh, which is high. If you're selling, you know, a million dollar home, that's what $60,000 taken off. That's a lot of money. Um, And they hope to reduce those commissions with internet scale. They still use physical uh, people, real people as brokers, um, sort of, you know, Redfin agents as they call Mm -hmm. them, but they get paid differently and they use the internet scale to hopefully um, decrease margins. That's their competitive advantage. But the, all these companies are likely going to converge on the iBuying opportunity over time. They're all competing with each other, but just in different ways. They're all trying to go out about it in a different style.
2: And then Ian, you have management and ownership.
1: Yep. So like you mentioned, Ryan, Eric Wu is the CEO and co-founder. Ian Wong is the CTO and co-founder. Um, they also... You were mentioning, Keith. um, They also have this impressive Silicon Valley management team, though. They've got people part of the management team with experience ranging from Trulia, Amazon, Airbnb, Netflix, Yahoo, Yelp, Square, pretty much any great Silicon Valley company over the last 10 years, they have someone from uh, that company. So it's just, it really has the buy-in of Silicon Valley. And I think there's a lot of people in that part of the country who look at this and say, wow, what a massive market. Look at how inefficient it is. Let's go in and um, fix it, basically. Another thing to note about the management team is they see contribution profit as um, basically the key measure of their unit economic performance. And so I'd expect that to continue after the merger, that that'll be a number that they throw around a lot, and it'll be important to understand what that number means. So typically, contribution margin or contribution profit is sales minus variable costs. And that gives you your contribution margin. In this case, what that means for Open Door is that it's adjusted gross profit minus the holding costs of properties and direct selling costs. So pretty much their contribution margin is going to equal whatever they um, sell the house for minus whatever it took them to buy the house, repair the house, and hold the house before reselling it.
2: That's usually really slim, right? Like 1%
1: yeah they they're looking historically it's been somewhere between one and four percent um for the fiscal year they're hoping that that's gonna grow a little bit over time and maybe reach levels of you know four six you know maybe even eight percent over uh, long periods of time um to dive into the ownership a little bit i'm gonna just clarify this term too if you're not familiar in these SPACs they talk about pro forma ownership which means the ownership following the merger and right. so yeah. After the merger, this the ownership structure of the SPAC is supposed to be 9.5% what they call pipe investors, which are private investments and public equity. And so those will be large funds who basically get an extra shot to invest in this that, and that don't have to invest through the SPAC. And so that's going to be about 9.5% of this company. About 6.6% is going to be the IPOB shareholders. So the people who have bought the SPAC so far. And the remaining 80% is going to be existing open door shareholders. Um, So like I said, the SPAC only, the current SPAC only owns about 6.6% of the combined entity. Um, One thing to another couple, just some of the key insiders, Chamath will own about 4.1% of the combined entity. Uh, Eric Wu, the CEO, will own about 6.7%. Ian Wong, the CTO and other co-founder, will own about 1.3% which means um, the total kind of management ownership is about 8, 8.5%, which is a bit lower than I would like to see. But especially with Eric Wu owning 6.7%, it's still a significant portion of the company. So they still should be aligned with shareholders.
0: Right. And then that 4.1% from Chamath polyapatia would be through that pipe, right? Am I getting that correct?
1: Yes, it's through, it's not technically in that pipe number, but it's also not coming out of that. IPOB shareholders. um, Is it just part of the merger? It's part of the merger. Yes. Okay.
0: Okay. Just know that post all this complicated stuff afterwards, this is what the ownership will be. That's I guess what investors should Exactly.
1: There's a lot of, there's a lot of like SPACs make it simple in one sense, but they also, Kind of bring in money from all these different places, and they have to adjust all the shares for people who've gotten shares over all the years working for the company, and then bringing in these new shareholders, and so it just it gets a little bit messy.
0: Yeah, I'm a direct
1: listing guy myself, but
0: <laughs> uh, I'll get into the valuation strike price, $10 a share uh, for the merger. So make sure you reference that when you're looking at IPOB shares because right now they're at 1788, so that will convert to an enterprise value of what IPOB shareholders are getting at about $8.6 billion, if I'm getting that correct. So you're not actually investing at the enterprise value of what the SPAC is going to be at. That Ryan mentioned earlier, if you're buying the shares in the open market, the valuation is $8.6 billion. The EV to sales then, looking at the last six months, which have been affected by COVID, so they're a little dampened, is about 2.15. And that's trailing that should come down over time. But again, their to gross profit is close to 30 on a trailing basis. So that shows that that gross margin level is really low. It's tough to do any sort of valuation numbers on the sales growth, anything, because they did have that decrease when they lowered their uh, supply because of the shakeup uh, with COVID this spring. But gross profit growth really is the number to look at. It's almost like they have to put uh, their GNV number on their uh, gap statement and reality gross profit is the revenue they're getting in. And then contribution profit is almost their gross margin number.
2: Right. Would you guys agree? Yeah. And that, I mean, I can go right into my earnings, which, so their fiscal year 2019 revenue was 4.7 billion and that was up 158% from 2018. Now there's been, A big adjustment due to COVID in 2020. So I'll get into that in a second, but the gross margins on that were 6.4%, which seems incredibly low, but think about it. Like if you've ever looked at Squares earnings, now they have to record Bitcoin trading as revenue. It's just volume being recorded as revenue, like the sale of a house. It's really not like they didn't just build the house and sell it. They had to buy it right before and then sell it. So it's basically the the transaction volume that's going through there. So gross profit, like Brett said, is the number to pay attention to. Uh, they had 248 million in operating losses for 2019. The losses before taxes was 338 million uh, in 2019. They all they sold almost 19,000 homes. Now operate in 21 markets across the U.S. Uh, but for the first nine months of this year, revenue is down 33 percent. Gross margin was a little higher at around 7.8% than the year prior, which I guess is good to see. And then uh, operating margin in 2019 was negative 5.2%. The first nine months of this year, it's been negative 8.2%. Not the the direction you want to see it going. And then there was less homes obviously sold this year due to COVID. Um, And so it's been heavily disrupted. I mean, do you want to expand on that a little bit?
0: Yeah. uh, I mean, they had to stop buying homes to increase their supply. I think they were worried about that. And then I believe they stopped selling homes. Am I correct on that, Ian? Or I think they may have, I don't know, they stopped one form, one end of their supply and demand curve. And that made sure they had to pause things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I can dive into that right now because I'm going to get into the balance sheet. So one of the big things they tried to do when they entered COVID is they had about a billion dollars in inventory on their balance sheet. And that's houses that they'd bought, but not yet sold. And they saw that especially when COVID hit as being pretty risky. And so they said, we're gonna stop buying houses. We don't want any more on our balance sheet. And we're gonna try and start moving those houses off of our balance sheet and go ahead and sell them. Um, Which probably meant, they don't really explicitly say this, but probably meant they were taking slightly lower prices than they necessarily would've initially wanted on some of those houses. So they lowered their inventory number from about 1.1 billion down to 150-ish million in inventory on their balance sheet over the last six months. And so that's been just a really impressive um, delevering of the balance sheet making it a little less risky so they wouldn't be wiped out by um, a really strong lack of demand in house buying and I think it's turned out that house buying ha- actually hasn't gone down as much as people expected to at the beginning of COVID um, especially with people maybe looking to get out of the cities and move to the suburbs um, things of that nature and so um, it's who knows exactly whether that was the right decision or not but they definitely de-risked the balance sheet. Post-merger they're going to have about $1.5 billion of cash on the balance sheet. And so should be plenty of money to continue to buy houses, enter new markets, ramp up uh, marketing spend, all that type of stuff. And they only have about $300 million in liabilities. So a net cash position, plenty of liquidity, and um, really a strong looking balance sheet. Right, right. And we're going to hit the ad break. But
0: before we do, we got to mention, as always, our seven investing sponsors. Ryan, do you want to talk about the partnership we got going?
2: Yeah. So um, we do this every show, but we have a coupon code CCM with seven investing who are now our partners. And you guys are probably familiar with them if you've listened to our show before because they come on all the time. But their offering is seven picks uh, for $17 a month. You get $10 off if you use CCM. Uh for your first month. So I don't know. I mean
0: And they invest similar <laughs> they invest similar yeah, they invest similar ways to us. Uh right. they're long term oriented, uh they're buy and hold, uh, you know, price matters to them, all that stuff. They have all their actual things if you look at their website, but yeah, check it out with our promo code. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices.
1: You'll get real time alerts.
0: Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is...
1: Red color, red color, where are
0: you? (sighs) All blocked. Thanks to Advanced Security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced Security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. First up is Competitive Advantages. wants to go first. Ryan? Ian Sure. I'll go first. Ryan. Um
2: (laughs) yeah, so the digital first model presents some lower overhead costs. Um so if you have an open door account and you're interested in a home, you can get you get basically an access code through open door to go to the house at any point from six AM to nine PM and you just key in your access code and you get to see the house. So you get a tour it without having someone that open door has to pay to give you a tour tour at a certain time. So obviously that's just lowering expenses on open Door's side, um, much less overhead costs yeah. as opposed to like Redfin where Redfin has to pay agents to tour houses for people. So a yeah. bit of a competitive advantage there.
1: Yeah. All right. Ian, what do you got? Yeah, I've got something somewhat similar to that, but especially compared to the traditional um, house buying process and house selling process, they're a vertically integrated platform. And so, it allows you to really just sell your house and not have to worry about coordinating everything. Whereas with a traditional thing, you're having to track down a realtor, you're having to track down, you know, your financing, um, you know, someone to do the repairs and you're having to manage that all yourself open door kind of keeps that all in one place, gives you just one flat rate. This is what you're going to get at the end. And, just makes it simple and really reduces the complexity in a fairly complex industry so i think that's just a big competitive advantage especially compared to traditional realtors i think that's less prevalent um with some of the other i buyers but um compared to traditional realtors they definitely have a competitive advantage right
0: right and then for me i i didn't think they really had any strong ones currently but i think the economies of scale can work here that that does include the things that you talked about, Ian, and a little bit of what you talked about, Ryan, and then the digital efficiencies should help. Although I don't think it's as strong as a lot of other industries. You know, they they claim they can make it just because it's online. It can be, you know, a hundred percent better. I don't think it's like how Netflix was to cable. It's not going to be that a yeah. seamless transition. There's a lot more friction that's still going to be there.
2: I think In real estate, there's just a natural level of friction no matter what. Yeah. Like you can't get rid of all the friction in the process or else a company will probably end up losing a lot of money if they try to. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. It's definitely not totally upending the industry, but uh, future growth opportunities, what do you have?
0: Yeah, I can go, I said insurance attachment. Um, It feels like all our future growth opportunities are either going to be just expand or do some add-ons. Right. to their thing, because they're trying to make it very simple, but then have everything integrated into one spot. So insurance seems popular. Uh, their partnership with OS National, or actually they bought them out in 2019, that's an escrow company. So I think that's part of the real estate process. We got to put some things in escrow. There's some insurance associated with that. There's, these are ways they said they can increase their gross margin to nine plus percent and hopefully get that contribution margin into the three to 5% range. Um, These won't be as high of revenue numbers for them, but they're going to be a lot higher margin than just buying and selling a home.
1: Yeah. Ian, what do you have? So my future growth opportunity is more markets. Currently they're only in 21 cities and Phoenix, my home is actually the city where they have the most market penetration and that's only 4%. Um, and I've never actually heard of anybody buying a house on open door. So plenty of room to grow. They've got, you know, people buy and sell houses all around the world and they're only in 21 cities. So it should be plenty of room to grow if they can nail that process and the unit economics. And I think it also, something they say and something you touched on there, Brett, is over time, they find that their contribution margin and gross profit number goes up. And so currently we were talking a lot about how gross profit is gonna be the metric we really wanna follow. And some of the, when they add new cities, it's going to be natural for that average gross profit to come down a little bit. And so it's going to take some time for them to, once they get into a city to build the right team out, to understand the market correctly so that they can actually start growing that gross profit.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Ryan, last one
1: here.
2: Also to note, I like that strategy. It's sort of the Uber strategy of get, go city by city. I'm sure Zillow is doing the same thing, but I kind of like that better as sort of just a land as opposed to just going and branching out into the entire country yeah but uh my growth opportunity is home loans this product was launched in 2019 and it has no loan origination fees this seems like a logical next step if you're buying a home through open door you can purchase a home with as little as three percent down
0: oh that's low that's
2: very low uh, yeah and that creates some risk uh, but like ian said they're keeping everything in house so from the sale to the maintenance to the tours, to the purchase, to financing the home and to pe- potentially insurance, like you said, yeah, um, it's all done through Open Door. And I think that that bodes well for them in the future.
0: Yeah, that's how they provide the value, where yeah. it increases efficiency, it reduces friction, saves people time. That's the value they're going to be able to provide. And hopefully that's how they get that 5 to 8% fee. Uh, but we have our last segment here, highlights and lowlights. Ian, do you want to go first?
1: yeah so like I mentioned earlier, I think the vertical integration huge mark, market, but particularly this backing from Silicon Valley um, this can this can be great for companies I think sometimes there's obviously examples of companies that were backed by Silicon Valley that don't pan out but they're able they're being able to attract a lot of talent and investment right now, which I think bodes well for the future it gives them just a, a real head start and trying to capture this market my low lights kind of center around that too though is that this competition it's a market that a lot of people are starting to go after whether it's zillow and redfin other startups like this who are really focused on the iBuying buying process and so they have not yet reached that point where they're synonymous with iBuying. buying like i said i've never met anybody who's bought through open door i don't know if either of you have but it's not like that's just the clear favorite to go through your iBuying buying process yet and so it's it's possible that they'll never reach that kind of ubiquity st- or status. And I think one of the things that also makes it hard for iBuying in general is that many homeowners are older buyers, less confident in internet purchases. There's this large kind of in- inborn um, just familiarity with the current real estate process, even though it's long and hard. But there's just, with a purchase this big, I think some people are a little bit afraid of actually doing purchases like this over the internet.
0: Yeah, if this shift is going to come to majority eye buying, it is not going to be overnight. It's probably going to be a 10 to 15 year process.
2: And th- it feels like there's a small amount of people that are actually, maybe yeah. I'm wrong, but when you're selling a house, it feels like a, big, like a big moment that you want to take your time with and not do wrong, yes. yeah. as opposed to like, all right, I got to get this off my books now. And that's sort of what <laughs> Open Door thrives on is like people that, need, that are time sensitive
0: Yeah. And it could be people that own like 10 houses or something. You know, you're kind of a real estate investor in that type of way, but that's not the majority of people. Yeah. What do you have? Uh, Economies of scale are needed here. And I think that's really important. So they have the capital to do that. So Open Door has all this investing. And like Ian said, they have the access to the capital. They're not capital constrained. And that's it might be the most important thing here because you have to ride the wave of maybe the housing market dipping. Um, you got to be able to pull in supply, decrease or increase yeah. demand, all that type of things. Uh, you need that margin of safety there. Low lights for me, I, I do have a lot. Low margins concern me. Um, that's just a standard thing that you'd rather have high margins than low margins. Um, it's influenced by the housing market a lot. So there's things that they can't control that could hurt their business so even if management is firing on all cylinders the housing market takes a turn open doors business could be screwed uh and i don't think they have much of a differentiation and they have tons of competitors so i honestly think zillow might have a competitive advantage because they have you know like the billion plus clicks or visits to their website every day Um, they're able to market the i-buying process from zillow for people that are checking this estimate all the time i mean that's the standard for looking at housing prices is zillow even if Door can create a competitor to that, it might be a little harder than Zillow coming in and competing with Opendoor.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Um, I guess one of the only highlights that I would have is that Chamath has a pretty solid track record. Um, and that sort of gives a level of comfort to a lot of investors that we've seen. Um this is also a home run play. So let's say it, you know, you make it one or 2% of your portfolio and it works out. It's a huge winner. It's not like it beats the market by 1% over five years. So uh, it is, um, it's, it's got a massive Tam. And if, if it does work out, it works out in a big way. However, it feels just really risky to me and they do have so much Silicon Valley involvement that it kind of worries me. Um, And like the whole venture capital motto is move fast and break things. I'm not sure that's a good motto in real estate. And on top of it, like you, this is, it's not like people say, well, it's like your margin is my opportunity. Like, no, this is just low margin business. And in order, in order to create a bigger opportunity, you have to go even lower margin than that. Like you're going, you're either losing a whole bunch of money or to go after a bunch of volume. That just doesn't seem let, like
0: it seems like it could go wrong in a big way. Yeah, there's a lot of tail risk here. Yeah, uh, it's not something that yeah people. I mean, we know like if the real estate market goes down; they're levered up ten to one with all the loans that they originate. They haven't gotten to that point at all. But if they have that high leverage, market tanks. Um, that's a lot of obligations they got to fulfill if they're not able to sell things for even eighty percent of what they bought them at.
2: There's a reason this industry moves slow. And- yeah. Like just going after it with a bunch of v c dollars just seems explosive,
0: yeah, definitely. all right. last question, are we more or less interested in open door? Um, Ian, I'll let you join back in.
1: Sam's slightly more interested um it's it's uh I think a lot of the points that Ryan just brought up were great, and I think it's it's you know huge Tam, but also concerning just about all the things that could go wrong. And as he was touching on in the end, they don't really have people in their management team or on their board that, at least from what I can tell, that have much real estate experience. And you might be able to look at that as a good thing, but um, it might be nice to have one or two people in there who really have done real estate before and who understand the market and are starting to, um, starting to kind of shift the, shift the mindset of the people investing in it.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, Netflix brought in a bunch of people from Hollywood. You gotta have a mix of like the people that are trying to disrupt this industry, but you also want to know, all right, what well, they didn't, yeah. this was a big industry for a reason. You know, what what are the things that we should do? Um, I'll, I'll do mine. I'm a little less interested. I'm kind of 50, 50 on open door. I think it could, you know, again, it's a high risk, high reward opportunity, but it's not something I would typically look at. Um, and I guess that's it. Yeah. We talked about all this stuff before.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm less interested. Um, just, if I'm going to invest in a real estate space, it, this feels super aggressive. I don't mind this sort of aggressive type growth from Zillow because they have a backbone of another revenue generator and the same with Redfin. But if you just go after it like this, it feels like it could backfire in a big way. And so maybe that's a little too much risk for me. So I'd say I'm less interested.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Remember to use our promo code CCM. If you want to check out seven investing subscription service, we have the link in the show notes. If you want to check that out. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on the show is not formal advice or recommendation. If you have any recommendations for shows to do for our deep dive episodes, make sure to contact us on Twitter or through our email at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening to this episode. We will see you next time.